This is the post-game podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you all the big match reaction with views from the press box, the dugout and the stands. Hello everybody and welcome to the post-game podcast on the Blood Red channel for the final time this season. I'm Patrick Smith and you join me after Liverpool end their 2022-23 season in very typical, inconsistent fashion as they are held 4 all by already relegated Southampton in an absolute definition of on-the-beach football. The departing Roberto Firmino scored a farewell goal along with the Diogo Jota brace and a Cody Gakpo strike, but the Reds ultimately end their disappointing season with a disappointing result. There are plenty of talking points though following this much-changed Liverpool performance, so for the last time this season, enjoy the reactions of the Liverpool Echoes' Paul Gorst, LFC manager Jürgen Klopp, a bonus post-match debut from myself and Liverpool.com editor Matt Addison, and the verdict of the travelling Coffites. The post-game podcast on the Blood Red channel. Liverpool's Premier League season has ended with a 4-4 draw here against Southampton this afternoon and what was a bit of a wild, um, spectacular end of season for in all honesty. Um, a game that didn't really mean too much, Southampton already relegated uh, a few weeks back of course and Liverpool uh, having secured fifth in the Premier League. Um, Diogo Jota uh, put the Reds on the way early on after a, a bit of a howler from Romeo Lavia inside his own penalty area. Jota dispatched it and Roberto Firmino added one shortly after his 111th and final Liverpool goal of a decorated eight-year career at Anfield, of course. Um, and it looked like Liverpool were going to go on and really put the, uh, their foot on the neck of Southampton and really um, wrap up the scoreline. But to be fair to the hosts, they got themselves back in the game. James Ward-Prowse with a measured finish after wonderful work from uh, Alcaraz uh, down the, uh, the right side or down the left side of Liverpool. Uh, and then they made it 2-2 um, before half-time. And as I say, a little bit of a, of a crazy game and that was... Um, very uh, emblematic of what was uh, a game that didn't mean anything or didn't mean a whole lot to either side in all honesty. Uh, Southampton came out the better team after the restart. Um, Camaldini, Sudimana, after making a 2-2, he made it 3-2 with a wonderful goal from the edge of the box. Taylor one past Cleveland Kelleher. Uh, Jan Klopp made seven changes to his team and the Irish goalkeeper was one of those. And then uh, Adam Armstrong made a 4-2 after a slack pass from substitute Jordan Henderson. And as we approached the, the last... 25 minutes to show you wondered how much uh, Liverpool had left in the tank after a long old season in a game that found them uh, two goals down with 25 minutes to go with, uh, in a game that uh, wouldn't have affected their final league position either way but to be fair to them they uh, they got back into the game Klopp made four substitutions uh, Lewis Diaz coming on Harvey Elliott was excellent when he came on Cody Gakpo he made a 4-3 with a uh, tapping at the back post after a great move involving Elliott and Trent Alexander-Arnold and then Diogo Jota smashed one in from around about 20 yards after the through ball from Mohamed Salah. It's been a really good end of the season for the Portugal International League. Of course, suffered uh, so many months on the sidelines and about six months with two injuries, a hamstring injury and then a serious calf injury picked up in October. Uh, he will be looking for better luck next season on the injury score and if he does, Liverpool have a real goal scorer on the hands who can uh, rival up the likes of Mohamed Salah at the top of the scoring charts. Uh, that's perhaps something that Liverpool have Lacked at times this season the fact that uh, Mohamed Salah scored 30 goals and then their second top goal scorer after that was Darwin Nunes with 15. Uh, Nunes not involved today, it's going to be a big summer for him, we feel. Uh, Roberto Firmino shines off with, his, as I say, his 111th and final Liverpool goal of a career that spanned over 360 games for the Reds. 
uh, he will be uh, a legendary figure at this football club in years to come, no doubt about it, and he got a hero's ovation. Just to my right at the end, uh, of course, uh, Si Senor echoing around the home end. Um, strange season for Liverpool on Lawless. Their lowest finish on the Jürgen Klopp, they finished fifth in the Premier League. Uh, lowest finish of a full season under the German, we should caveat that one, but I sense that uh, there's plenty to be optimistic about, but also an acceptance that there's plenty that needs to be done in the summer months, both on and off the pitch. Uh, new sporting director George Schmacker is uh, on his way, we believe, um, to sign a short-term deal. He's got loads of work to do in terms of the recruitment side of things. Uh, there's much to be done in pre-season in Liverpool flights to Germany and then to Singapore. And of course the Anfield Road expansion project is into its final weeks and Liverpool will play host to their biggest crowds in decades from August onwards. As 61,000 get set to cram uh, into Anfield from uh, the start of next season. Uh, so it depends if your glass is half full or half empty. Liverpool will uh, be nowhere near good enough uh, from what we have uh, come to expect from them in recent years. Finished fifth, but still enough uh, to be uh, optimistic about going into the summer months. For some, uh, still work to be done, of course, more so than not in the uh, transfer market. But it finished here at St Mary's and Liverpool signed off from a difficult Premier League season. Southampton 4, Liverpool 4. The Post Game Podcast on the Blood Red Channel. Holiday started and now that oh, it's the opposite of holiday. James, Jürgen, that was a, was a chaotic end to the season. What, what did you make of it? Top start, outstanding finish in between. Yeah, be, be, be. So let me start with the most important. I really thought we felt from the first second today, but Southampton is really a good club. Like when you see the people with all the, you'll get relegated, um, which is obviously the worst. What you, what you want to, uh, what you want to happen, and then the atmosphere is like the atmosphere was. They have to say that's pretty special, like that a lot. But then we are tuning up, and you know that these players want to, Southampton players want to pay back to these people, and we let them just open the door for a really talented offensive team, like in the counter attack with the speed they have. We've, uh, we did, I, I can make a list of things we weren't, and that have led to the counter attacks they had, <laughs> scored the goals, and yeah, it's 2-2, then 4-2, and then we started doing the right things again. All of a sudden, we, we did what we actually wanted to do in the second half from the start. Um, yeah, and then it was. More or less spectacular. I think we could have scored a fifth and a sixth, and they had another counter attack. But um, yeah, how is that? Top start, outstanding finish, in between, just silly. You just glad it's over now? Yeah, very, very. Absolutely. Um, yeah, there were moments during the season when you thought the season will be four years long. But um, and thank God the last 10, 12 games, we, I'm not sure how long we, we are now, didn't lose anymore. Um, I think 12 games? 11. 11. Um, yeah, 12 would have been better. Um, and so that helped massively, um, gave us a real boost, gave us um, a, a perspective, gave us a, a basis for what we, what we have to do, that it didn't turn into the, the best ever season. We, we, we see that, we know that, we are very disappointed about the fact that we didn't 
make it to the top four. But you, there are moments when you have to admit that there are four teams, at least they were better than us. So that's the truth. And um, we played a bad season, became fifth, become fifth. That is a message as well. Imagine we are more our normal selves, which we absolutely will be again next season, and that will um, we will be a contender again. That that's how it is, and um, yeah. And the, the last 10, 11 games then um, helped us to to realize that again, because before that it was obviously from a consistent point of view a, a, a season is very difficult to understand. We understood how we came into the situation, but there were so many moments when you, we, we thought now we sorted it a week later. We saw, ah, not yet. So that was the problem. And um, yeah, that's it. Um, it's over. And now we can start preparing the future. Yeah. What's the biggest thing you've learned from the season? Because obviously you've had seasons where it's always had a positive conclusion, really, the season. I think there's not a lot to learn from, but I would say what is to learn from is that um, I think in a lot of clubs, when the expectations are as high as in our club, rightly so. When things don't go well, um, pretty quickly starts with blaming each other, stuff like this that didn't happen here. I thought really, especially last week, we didn't need that now, but last week you could see the, the goodbye that our people um, are more than just with us, are really still completely behind us. Um, and I like that a lot, but there was nothing really, um, and it's something we have to be can use as well. I said it a couple of times, the better you behave in a crisis, the better you get out of it. And I really thought that was the case for us. Um, again, we are um, really, really not happy about it. And it's obviously for a club like us, um, it's massive not to qualify for the Champions League, I have to say. But in the next few years, you can see how many teams are playing for that now and have probably uh, the right to that they want to be in it. You know, we can see it will not be easier, but you still have to. Um, you still have to do it, and that's what we will try with all we have. Um, if we improve, we are all of a sudden, and what we will do, we are all of a sudden again a team nobody really wants to play against, and that's what we have to become again. And there were a lot of games in the season, I think people, teams were happy to face us now. And that's actually the worst thing what can happen to you, and um, I hated these moments. Um, but that's over now, and now let's start again. It has been a long season with the World Cup and everything else. Is there any sense that you think that you'll be better after a break, personally? Yeah, yeah. We, we, uh, look, that's okay. We, we all need a bit of luck, and we've had actually the opposite in a very, very bit. So, like today, you could see the influence of uh, Diogo Chota not available for most of the season. Luis Diaz not available for most of the season. Cody Gakpo only came in the winter. Bobby Firmino. Um, not available for parts, big parts of the season. Darwin Nunes, completely new. All of a sudden, how we wanna, we are, we have to be a dominant team. Teams are waiting for us when we arrive there, and um, we couldn't sort it as good as we wanted. That's how it started, and from that moment on, um, we never calmed it down in the right way to be on it early enough. Let me say it like this, because if we would have started this series now, four or five weeks earlier. We still could have qualified for the Champions League, which is absolutely, if we are not brilliant, that would be out, would have been outstanding. Um, so we know the reasons why it happened. We expect from ourselves to sort it quicker, but we work with human beings, and that's then sometimes it takes a bit longer. So I meant you personally as a manager. Oh, what I, what I then I don't. Do you, do you feel that you need a break? No, 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 not at all. I'm completely, I'm, honestly, I'm completely fine. If, if I, 
he would have asked me 11 games ago, you want to have a break? I would have, I would have thought about it, to be honest. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely fine, full of energy, I was fine. Um, but I, I don't have, I have a break, I don't have training and these kind of things, but a pretty busy period hopefully starts now um, as well and in, in a different area of the game and um, I'm more than happy um, to do that and um, I will find time to re-energize and then we start again in, the, uh, in July. Eight goals today, obviously, and that's a record in the season for Premier League goals over the course of the season. I was just wondering, do you have any sense of... B1-1 one, one game 9-0. Yeah, but for the whole, all the teams, I mean, together, total goals in the Premier League. This oh, okay. Is a record, I, think. I was just wondering, do you have any thoughts on why why you think that might have been this year, more goals than, than ever oh. before in the league? <sighs> Usually, you can see big scorelines when the teams are not good defending. I think that was the reason today. Both teams were not really good in defending. <laughs> Both teams could have scored more goals. Um, in general, I think that we all want to see that. I, I, as a neutral, I want to see it as well, to be honest. Um, tonight, today, I would have loved to see a few less, but um, that's that's absolutely okay. I don't know one hundred percent. Probably it's, it's the quality. If you don't if you don't defend on, on on top of your game, then you will get smashed in this league. Let me say it like this: We saw today. It's not my my job, obviously, to to analyze the Southampton season, but I saw a lot of games and I, I liked what I saw. Really talented team. And in the end, if the defending is not 100% right, you, you suffer. It was today the same. You saw how skilled they are. My God, the kids came on. I'm not sure they are shaving their face already. They're really young. And then um, give them a little bit of space and they go through. They have speed, they have technique, they have so many skills. But in the end, it's all about scoring more than the opponent. That's uh, not always possible. That's why you better concede not that many. Um, yeah, the league. Is really good, I have to say, and that's probably the main reason for it. Thank you, everyone. Have a nice summer. All the best. See you. Thank you. The Post Game Podcast on the Blood Red Channel. Hello, everybody, and welcome along to the debrief on the Blood Red YouTube channel. We are live after Liverpool's final match of the 2022-23 season ended in a four-all draw down at Southampton. As I said in the title, it's been a poor season and it's a pretty disappointing result, to put it lightly. As they, lose. It feels like a loss, doesn't it? They draw with an already relegated Southampton. As I said, everyone, we are live on the Blood Red channel with myself, Patrick Smith, and I'm joined by Liverpool.com editor Matt Addison. So, Matt, what's your reaction to that one? It's a pretty drab way to finish a drab season, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't great, was it? I mean, there was a bit of entertainment. You, you take heart from the fact that, you know, Liverpool going forward have, have looked good. They probably should have scored a few more. It's a bit of a shame that Mohamed Salah didn't manage to get one more and, and end the season on 20 in the league. But, you know, I, I, I really think there's there's enough there to be positive going into next season. But equally, there's there's a lot there that, that needs to be improved. And, you know, I think you'd look at, at some of the goals conceded you look at the way that Liverpool defended at certain times it was kind of the season in one game almost I know there was you know a few a few players who, who were missing who maybe could have made a difference but even when Virgil van Dijk has been there it's often been Allison that's had to, to bail the defence out or you know Jordan Henderson's given away a daft one and Fabinho hasn't exactly covered himself in glory today as well so 
there's a few issues, I think, in front. Maybe with Allison, it's a little bit different. I don't think Keller had the, the best game. I know he's come in from the blue. Possibly could be his last game. I suspect that if Liverpool can keep him, they'll do as much as, as they can to do that. But, yeah, it, it was a little bit frustrating in the sense that at 2-0 up, you think this could be 6 or 7. And then, obviously, Liverpool concede four goals, give away a few silly things. But... I don't know. It's one of them. I take the positives. They are going to have to sign three or four players in the summer. There are, you know, a, a few inconsistencies within this Liverpool team, but I think we we probably knew that before the game today. And of course, they all go into it okay with a little bit of a point to prove, you know, for, for some of the players who've come in. But also, they couldn't go any lower than fifth. They couldn't climb any higher. They couldn't get into the top four. It was a dead rubber. I, I think to some extent, maybe the Henderson. Uh, poor bit of play for, for the goal. Maybe maybe that explains it. You know, maybe there is a bit of a case, not an excuse, but a kind of a mitigating factor of it ultimately didn't matter. Liverpool were on the beach. They've produced, you know, an entertaining game and they've just got to take it and, and move on into next season. Yeah, well, on the one hand, you know, it was a very entertaining game. They are on the beach. and It certainly wasn't to Jürgen Klopp. He looked furious on the sidelines, didn't he? made four substitutions. So I think the word inconsistency, as you mentioned there, encapsulates the whole season, encapsulates the match today. I mean, there's so many inconsistencies within the team and negatives to go through. But we'll start with the positive, I suppose, because I like to start with the positive before we lambast the second 11 we saw today. But the attack, Matt, is, a, you know... It's a problem where they had Sadio Mane going out of contract, obviously Roberto Firmino departing. They've cleverly and over time replaced that front line to a new look front line now. Diogo Jota in the goals, Luis Diaz looking sharp, Cody Gakpo sharp when he came on. The attack is probably the only part of the team where when they rotate to this so-called second eleven, it still looks pretty powerful, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's really promising, isn't it? I, I just put a tweet out then. Tom Beatty has done our player ratings, and Diogo Jota was was the top player, and I think that's fair. That you know there weren't too many players who who stood out, but obviously gets the two goals. The first one, I think I would have scored that one, but you've got to be in the, the right place, and and he is so often in the right place to score the opener. So I just wonder how different this season could have been if him and, and Luis Diaz as well, of course, as well. But you know they've both had extended periods on the sideline you've got to hope that next season that's not the case obviously Firmino won't be there but there is you know real depth and real quality in the attack for Liverpool and I think that's you know a, a really really positive sign it, it's a really good start if you can start to score goals obviously the defence needs to improve and you can't score four goals and, and pick up a, a point that's not acceptable and, and obviously we know that but I think for, for Liverpool next season you know Salah definitely is is in the first choice three but then the others i think there is you know a little bit of a a question mark really i think cody gappo would probably be in my 11 as, as the number nine but diogo jota has, has done a good job there today obviously darwin nunez wasn't even in the squad not quite sure why that was possibly right. a little bit of a, a recurrence of the injury that he's had recently and obviously Luis Diaz is, is excellent as well and as you say was was very very sharp so i think between all of those options i think each of them is you know, a potential 20-goal-a-season player. But I think yeah. when you've got that sort of quality in the, the front line, you'll be able to to rotate it. You've got different options. It's not the case of this is the, the three that they're going with, as it was with, you know, Firmino, Mane and, and Salah. That was undoubtedly the three every single week. I think, you know, opponents are going to have to, to keep guessing now in terms of, of what Liverpool do. You can maybe switch it up and, and go with four of them at certain times. I think we probably will see that when they're all fit and, and firing. And I just think, you know... That's that's what they should have done with the midfield. What they've done there is get the players in early, 
you know, yeah. bed them in and then lose the players afterwards in the midfield. It's it's kind of been the other way around and it's it's not quite happened. Hopefully they can learn the lesson and, and do with the defence what they've done with the attack rather than what they've done with the midfield and, and get that sorted as well. I think you know, two or three midfielders, a centre back, and suddenly you're starting to look at the team and, and think that it's in a really good position because yeah, like you say, it's it, it's a it's a real asset that Liverpool have got. I don't think any any team in the Premier League has got five forwards as good as what Liverpool have got. Obviously, Liverpool have finished fifth, so there's a reason for, for that. But if you sort out the rest of it, I think that's that's a really good starting point. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean, to start with the positive there, as I said, you know, I think the attack is the one thing going into next season that doesn't really need touching. I mean, we'll stay with the attacks. Obviously, the departing Roberto Firmino, of course, he got a goal in his last Liverpool match. Very emotional farewell from him today. Nice to see the Southampton fans giving him a standing ovation as well from all four corners of the stadium. His goals might actually be a huge miss next season, though, Matt, mightn't they? I mean, he's had some important ones this season for Liverpool. I'm not sure how many he's on for the season, but it's certainly well into double figures, isn't it? I mean, they are going to miss his goals off the bench, aren't they, specifically? Yeah, Ben's just done a piece for us for, for the website where he's looked at it. And I think Roberto Firmino is comfortably, in terms of per 90 minutes, the, the biggest contributor for Liverpool this season in terms of goals and assists. I still think it's the right time for him to move on. He's you know missed a lot of football you know, per 90 is, is one thing, but it's having enough 90s to be able to to put it together and, and do it often enough across the course of, of the season. And, you know, we've seen that for the last two seasons, really. He's missed far too much football to, to be able to keep him around as essentially the sixth choice option. So I think it is the right time. They will miss him in a certain degree, but I think Cody Gakpo has done more than enough to, to convince me that he is the kind of Firmino 2.0. And I think... We will see that continue next season. Again, like I said before, it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of fit that thing, sort of that position in with Nunes and Jota being completely different players. But yeah, Firmino will be a huge miss. He leaves as a Liverpool legend. I'm delighted that he got the, the goal. He's obviously got the, the goal in the Anfield game. And, and then this one again, you know, neither of those games have, have been wins. But I think, you know, that was an important thing, I think, for... You know the the memories of, of the Liverpool fans that travelled down there today. I'm sure you know they would have enjoyed the uh, the afternoon. And it, it was just a, a really typical Firmino goal as well, wasn't it? It was a really nice play from Trent yeah. Fabinho to to play it into him. Then a couple of dummies, and he waits for the right time to unleash the shot. And yeah, I, I will certainly miss that kind of player within the Liverpool team. But there's more than enough quality to be able to to overtake him. And yeah, there's there's so much been said about him over the last couple of weeks. You kind of you got to the point where you can't really say too much new about him. He will be a big miss for Liverpool, but I equally think it's it's the right time to to be ruthless and, and move him on. And it will be interesting to see where he goes. You know, there's a decent chance I think that he'll be in the Champions League next season, and, and Liverpool won't. So it's not all doom and gloom for him. He, he will get a very good move, I think, wherever that is. I know Real Madrid have been linked today. There's definitely interest in Italy. I think that could suit him really nicely. But, yeah, he leaves with as much well-wishing as, as possible. Um, him and James Milner as well, who I'm sure will come to, have got absolute legendary status at, at Liverpool. They will be big losses, but I do think it's it's the right time to, to move them on. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be strange, you know, starting a Liverpool season next year without Roberto Firmino anywhere near the lineup. He'll get take some getting used to, I think. But the attack is more than in safe hands. But as you lovely dovetail to there, Matt, with James Milner, let's talk about the Liverpool midfield today, shall we? I mean, James Milner has been an amazing servant for Liverpool, hasn't he? Fantastic player, fantastic professional. But today just showed that a 37-year-old James Milner starting in the midfield in the Premier League is costly and that rebuild is really needed in the midfield, isn't it, Matt? Do you, how many players do you think they need now 
We know they need a couple of players for maybe the starting eleven, but do you think they maybe need some players for that second eleven like we've seen today? Because they're going to be on all fronts again next season. They're going to need a much stronger squad, aren't they, for those competitions? Yeah, I mean, in terms of pure numbers, it's it's hard to to say. I think it's it's a bare minimum two in midfield. I think I'd probably go three. I think four might be pushing it a little bit, just in terms of the the sort of minutes that you're going to have on offer, because effectively the the players that you're replacing between Oxley Chamberlain, Cater, you know, even Milner, you could throw in there. He's he's not necessarily played loads of minutes. He's got appearances, but it's tended to be more from the end of matches in the, the latter part of his Liverpool career. I think, you know, particularly Cater and, and Oxley Chamberlain, you can replace them quite comfortably with one player and, and still have lots of, of minutes to spare. So yeah, for for me two is the absolute minimum. I'd probably go with three. I think if you look at say two established players Alexis McAllister looks like he's going to be one and then maybe one more from hopefully around the Premier League. I think that would be what I would be looking at um, in terms of sort of coming in and, and making an impact straight away, whether that's, you know, Mason Mount or, or someone else. I think if if you get two players who you can say with reasonable certainty that they could start the season in the midfield, first game of next season, you've got, you know, maybe Fabinho and, and two others in front of him. I think that's got to be the uh, the bare minimum. But then, yeah, beyond that, you, you're probably looking at a third one as a kind of depth option, maybe one for the future. Romeo Lavia wasn't particularly brilliant today, but I do think he is a good player. I'd probably nice take him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, he's got his first Liverpool assist already. Um, I'd probably take James Ward-Prowse, to be honest with you. I think he is is an excellent player for, for that kind of thing, obviously comes with with loads of, of perks not least the fact that he ticks the, the homegrown box which is is useful i think you can see him playing the the trent role he can definitely play the kind yeah. of milner versatility type thing he can become you know a player that liverpool use sparingly i think that would certainly be one that, that i would personally like to see happen but yeah i think two minimum hopefully a third one and for me as well it's an absolute certainty that they've got to get a defender because don't know whether we've got time to, to go into it in that much depth, but Joe Gomez in particular was was really poor today. And I just think between him and, and Matip, it's it's just not been it's not been a convincing season. So yeah, I think that's that's what I would like to see. An ideal summer for me really is that the forwards are, are done and, and that's sorted. Three midfielders, a centre half, and, and keep Kelleher and don't have to do anything with the goalkeeper. I think that would basically be the, the dream summer for me. Yeah, I'm definitely in agreement there. I think James Ward Prowse is a great little shout in that Trent. I mean, imagine the midfield of, you know, Trent dropping into it, Thiago and James Ward Prowse, and especially in Europe, that could really cause some damage. But yeah, I think the thing there, you know, with the midfield is if they sign a couple of, you know, first team starters in the summer, that'll then push maybe a Harvey Elliott, a Jordan Henderson into the rotation role, which I think will suit Liverpool. You know, they can happily play in the Europa League and then you can bring in the big guns, as I say, for the Premier League matches. But I think we have got time for the defence, Matt. We'll quickly touch on it because I think that's the main talking point from today, how poor the defence was. Now, Joel Matip, a player I'm a huge fan of. He was my player of the season, actually, last season. But in 2023 and 2024, should Liverpool be playing Costa Simicas, Joel Matip and Joe Gomez? Matt, what's your thoughts on that? Because they were very poor today, weren't they? They really struggled against an already relegated Southampton. Do you think they need replacing for next year? I don't think you can replace them all in one summer. Um, I don't think it's an issue as well to have maybe one of those players in the team. It wouldn't, you know, if you had Robertson, Van Dijk, Gomez and, and Trent, that's not the worst, you know, back four against most teams. The issue for me is that, you know, maybe for, for the Europa League next season, if you're going to play a couple of those, it, it becomes a little bit more difficult for you. I just think Liverpool have, have got to be a little bit more proactive. They don't necessarily 
100% need a new centre-back this season in terms of the numbers, but then it's going back to what I said before, it's the same situation as the midfield last summer. They had enough numbers. Obviously, the injury and the uh, availability is a bit more of an issue in the midfield than it is in the defence, but I just think you can get ahead of, of so many problems. If you know, Matip goes this summer, then you've definitely obviously got to replace him, but even if he stays and, and has the final year and then goes on a free next summer... I think it just makes sense for Liverpool to do a centre-back this summer that can come in and play. And I'm a little bit torn, to be honest, whether you get someone who can play on the left side. I know that's been been talked about a lot in terms of being a, a kind of Van Dijk successor, ultimately. Um, but I think there's there's definitely a gap on the other side as well. It's it's a lot, I know, you know for, for Joe Gomez and, and Joel Matip, it's a lot. But even for... For Ibrahim Akonate, it's it's hard to, to play in that role every single week. Yeah. If you've got trends in that new role, you are asking a huge amount of, of a player. And but maybe that won't be the case next season. Maybe he doesn't play the Europa League and he only gets the league games and it's fine. But I just think you, you're putting a lot of, of pressure on young shoulders. He's also not got the best injury record himself. He's he's missed a fair few matches this season, thirteen or fourteen, I think it is, that he missed in the Premier League. So yeah, the, the centre-back situation is, is something to sort out, I think. There's there's no obvious leading candidate in terms of, of who that might be at the moment, but there's enough good quality young centre-halves that I think you can get for, you know, a reasonable fee, let's say, you know, somewhere between 30 and, and 50 million to, to sort of give it a, a broad kind of, um, you know, price point in, in terms of that. I think Liverpool really have to, to sort that out this summer because it does feel like the midfield last summer where you can kind of go, yeah, well, we, we might get away with it. It might be all right. And then things can unravel very quickly. I think if you just do it now, you get it sorted. It might be a year too soon. And, you know, Matt might not play much next season, but you've just got to take that on the chin and, and just pay the wages and, and he leaves on free. I think whatever happens in terms of exits, they've got to, to get a new centre-back in and, and get that sorted. In terms of the full-backs, I don't think that will change too much. Back, it just seems like such a, a glaringly obvious position to go and strengthen. Yeah, maybe I'm being slightly harsh on Costa Smikas because he's always been pretty solid and he's good in Europe as well with the you know often slower pace, say, of European teams. But Joe Gomez, I think he's had those injuries in both knees. He's had a big ankle injury. He's just not the same player he was you know four years ago, let's say. Sad to say. But yeah, I think if you, I'm right with you, Matt. I'd sign a left-sided centre-back. I'd go for maybe a Mickey van der Veen, a Gonzalo Inacio, a nice quick play. You can rotate with Van Dijk. And then, you know, it depends if you can sell Matip or Gomez, to be honest. I think if an offer comes in for him, I'd maybe be looking to ship them on and then bring another young player in who can play on the right side as well as a player who can play on the left side. And then, you know, as you say, phase in that Van Dijk replacement ultimately because he is getting older and he's going to need some help out next season with all those minutes, I think, is the thing. I do think as well, though. I mean, I know that there's a couple of comments there saying that, you know, there's there's loads of, of things for Liverpool to do in the summer. But I really think in terms of purely the starting eleven, if you get a new centre-half in who can challenge the two who are your first choice, you get one or two midfielders in suddenly the team looks completely different. Yeah. You know, it's, it is it is a lot to do in the summer, but it's also not way too much in terms of it being insurmountable. You know, for, for Liverpool next season, it wouldn't shock me at all if they were in a title race, if they get yeah. this summer right. It's just a case of, of getting three, four players who can come in and, and hit the ground running and, and do that. And I think Liverpool will be right back up there. Yeah, they really need that competition for places. And something you often forget about is, you know, Van Dijk's the only left-sided centre-half and they are different positions. Whereas, you know, Gomez, Matip and Canate all prefer playing on the right-hand side. That's why I think getting someone who's comfortable on the left side is so important. But we'll leave it there. There's plenty of talking points today then as Liverpool end the season in a very typical fashion. So many things we've seen this year. A sluggish midfield, 
poor defensive displays, but the attack is still firing strong. Hopeful signs for next season then, shall we say, if they can sort that midfield and the defence. There'll be plenty of content to come from Blood Red over the summer, everyone, so don't worry. We'll keep you up to date with all the transfer news, rumours and everything going on with Liverpool FC. The Post Game Podcast on the Blood Red Channel. Season ends at St Mary's in the Desert Rubber against Southampton. 4-4, the final score after the much-changed Liverpool. I mean, we're all at sixes and sevens, really, for, for some of the goals. I mean, some of them were quite comical. And I suppose we couldn't really learn a lot from the game. And it's about looking forward to next season now. But it's a massive period coming up for Liverpool, as I'm sure everyone agrees. I mean, Liverpool finished this season, I believe it's 25 points of a deficit from where they ended last season. And that is some drop-off in, in anyone's circumstance to be to decrease by that level of points. And that shows that there's been multiple problems in Liverpool's season, not just from a, a personnel point of view, but also a tactical point of view from the coaching staff. I think it's just been underwhelming in virtually every department. I mean, when you're actually going to do player ratings for the season, I mean, you're struggling to find people who you'd really give even an average sort of rating considering the the previous achievements and the level they've previously played at. So, and that goes for the management staff as well because I've gone on record the same before. I mean, I, I believe that Liverpool have been one of the worst coached teams in the Premier League this season, which has led to being one of the factors as to why Liverpool have struggled so much, which sounds such a ridiculous thing to say, really, considering what an elite manager Jürgen Klopp has been and elite coaching has been drilled into Liverpool over the last few years which has made them more of the sum of the parts and and ultimately made them compete on on so many fronts and, and achieve every conceivable trophy that they could have extracted from the, the seasons in terms of elite trophy picking up. So that has been, there's been just multiple major factors. And if we take the first point, really, let's have a look at it from sort of a, a tactical point of view. Now, is Jürgen Klopp and his coaching staff going to keep to the system we've seen for, I don't know how many games it's been now, maybe 11, 12 games in terms of a 3-4-3 a a system. Is that going to be, with the ball and when the counter-pressing, sorry, is that going to be the system that Liverpool are looking to employ going into next season? Because as we touched on before, that makes a massive difference to some, some of the players Liverpool are looking to recruit and also makes a big difference to some of the futures of the players within Liverpool's squad and if they can actually be useful squad options in terms of their position in relation to the actual system that's been devised. Now, in an ideal world, what you want is you want multifunctional players who can play in a number of different positions, much like Pep Guardiola has at Manchester City, so flexible as a manager, being able to coach different patterns of attack and play, different build-up patterns, and, and ultimately putting his team in different shapes, both with and without the ball, which, of course, Liverpool do as well. But one thing I would say is Jürgen Klopp, a lot of his success for Liverpool and throughout his career has been with a default system. That seems what he likes to incorporate. And at Liverpool, that's been a 4-3-3. Is he going to go back to that system or is he going to deploy what has worked much better in general towards the end of the season, the 3-4-3 system? And what I mean by it affecting potentially you know, recruitments, but not only recruitments, existing players is, if you look at the likes of Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott, for example, I'm leaving Fabio Carvalho out at this moment in time because I think, you know, that is a, a situation where you you look by what Klopp's saying that he'll move on. But let's take Elliott and Jones. Now, these are players who, for me, 
very much suit Liverpool's new 3-4-3 system in which you've got two deeper line players behind you and you can operate in them half spaces in the higher end of the pitch. That's perfect for these two kind of players. Now, if Liverpool are going to go back to a 4-3-3 system in which the, the midfield players are balanced players and asked to basically support the attack by, you know, making sure that they're counter-pressing options and making sure they're blocking off passing lanes and being basically players to consolidate the team when they go forward in terms of taking up measured positions, then that's that makes it a lot more difficult for these kind of players to be, you know, fit for the system. So that is just one example of how sort of that factors in and the, because of the system change, how it might affect Klopp's, Klopp's thinking in terms of that. You know, again, if it is a 3-4-3 system, are Liverpool really going to be looking to play Andy Robertson as that third centre-half? Is that really going to be how they're going to go forward? Or would they look for a specialist in that position, a left-sided centre-back, who would automatically be more suitable in, in the role? So they're just some of them anyway. I mean, there's there's other issues within playing positions which Klopp will have to sort of evaluate. But also, if we think about individual players within that squad, because I feel that if we take away the formation aspect of things, Klopp has made mistakes for me in terms of some of the selections that he's made throughout the season. It hasn't just been a tactical element. I mean, James Milner for me has been I've mentioned this multiple times, has been way below the level to be playing central midfield for Liverpool at any stage within a season, I think, for about the past two seasons. And unfortunately, that's now the case with Jordan Henderson. There's enough evidence there to suggest that. And especially as a higher player, you know, whether he's playing in a 4-3-3 system as a right-hand-sided player or he's playing in a 3-4-3 as an even more elevated player, Jordan Henderson cannot be a squad option for Liverpool beyond the ball. If you're going to play him for me, he now has to be recycled into a role where he plays the deeper position as a fill-in man for the the players who are going to be first choice in that area where he can see the game in front of him and basically play as that deeper sort of option in rotation. What you can't have if Liverpool want to go forward is him playing ahead of the ball and operating in limited time and space when the, the, the essentially your decision-making is... Is more time constrained. It just can't be the case. Liverpool have to have a better technician in that area of the pitch. And you would hope that, oh, listen, Henderson's going to be staying in, there's no question for me at Liverpool, but you hope that he just develops now into what I've just described. I mean, you look at other players from Liverpool's side, decisions have got to be made. You look at like Sir Joe Gomez in particular. I mean, I'd even throw Joe Matip in there. They've been brilliant players for Liverpool throughout the years. But especially in Gomez's case, whenever he's played this season, he's just looked miles off it. So where I'm thinking, you know, Joe Gomez, Joe Matip, really talented centre-halves, you know, really good squad options as a strong four centre-halves, you may have to, re, you know, reconsider that now, especially if Liverpool are going to go over, you know, a three-at-the-back system, which would incorporate three centre-halves even more so. But the manager, I, I, I'm hoping... Is, is able to make these decisions and actually accurately assess them because, you know, it's all right me looking at it from afar and just seeing the games, but they may sh- must see telltale signs within every day and he's got, to, he's got to be ruthless and maybe that is one thing that you could criticise for all the fantastic things that he's done for Liverpool, Jürgen Klopp. Maybe you could criticise him sometimes for that ruthlessness when, if I take the Milner example over that two-year period, is great saving, fantastic, I'm sure, in the intangibles behind the scenes, but has he really been a help to Liverpool in his appearances within the side and similarly 
that, I don't mean a full-back, by the way, because I think he's done an half-season job there where he's been called upon, but I mean in that central midfield role. And also, if we look this season at Jordan Henderson's continual selection in a higher role. And, and yeah, these are just some of the things that have really got to be considered by the manager. Like, even if we look at the top end of the pitch and you look at the introduction of Cody Gakpo, who I've, I've mentioned on a few podcasts now, I've been really impressed with, especially his receiving techniques. I think he could be a really, really good player for Liverpool and someone who's ideally suited to receiving the ball with his back to goal in a, in a Firmino role, whether that's in either of the two systems to be able to drop in and allow them wide players to be able to, to hit the space he vacates with into outruns or out to win even. But what does that mean for Darwin Nunes, who Liverpool have spent £65 million on as a player who plays on the shoulder of the last line? For me, he can't play as a wide player. He simply can't. That isn't his game. I think he's an out-and-out number nine. And what is the future, really? Because it seems like Klopp really likes Cody Gakpo in that role. And they are two completely different profiles. Now, I know you need different profiles within a squad, but if Liverpool are trying to adopt a certain way of playing, that could be really difficult for you know that constant change if they're going to be the two sort of number nine options. And then, you know, how... if what Let's say Darwin Nunes doesn't get that run of games and it isn't got that, that, that continual selection. As we've seen, I think, over the last few months... Is that really going to aid his development? And what are Klopp's plans going forward for the system and them two players? I think there's massive question marks throughout the squad. I mean, I'm just picking up a few here. But uh, tactically, in terms of the manager's game plan, but also with individuals and, and decisions that need to be made on how, how they move forward. And I think a lot will... So much will be... You know, we'll have a better idea about when we see the kinds of profiles of players that Liverpool are bringing in and how that might impact how Liverpool are looking to play next season. I mean, I look at Fabinho, he's been much better you know, in the last few weeks when Liverpool have been more organised and better coached and in, in, a, in a better system for them in terms of the level of, of detail. Does he feel that Fabinho's drop-off this season is one which is manage, manageable to the extent that he can still be the start and deepest player in Liverpool's side? Or... Again, is that decline more pronounced and the last few weeks have just be simply been an upturn, if you like? That's a big decision. Now, one thing we do know is, and you know, as much as I say that this is going to be a massive summer for Liverpool, nothing is ever sorted in one summer. The reality is the majority of the players for Liverpool are going to be the players next season with one or two sort of introductions who you hope can make a big difference. And so that decision of which players are going to be useful and in what roles will ultimately go a long way to define and how Liverpool do next season in, obviously, collaboration with the players they bring in. So, yeah, really disappointing season to comment on this one. But I suppose for most people, it's a glad it's over now and let's look forward and some big decisions for the manager, which he has to get right. You've been listening to the Post Game Podcast on the Blood Red Channel.